Welcome to episode 20 of the Never Ending Glory podcast. I am your host, Luke Grilly. I'm here with my co-host, Jerry Burris, and a guest, and our, our greatest guest ever, Sean, who is here yet again after a great weekend uh, at Putin Bay, followed by uh, the, the draft weekend. So it's been a rough couple weeks. Um, Sean, have you heard from the Fark Knight Farky at all recently? No, he's still AWOL, MIA, whatever you want to call it, but... I know he'll pop up some roadside bar somewhere this week. He always does. He always does. Well, welcome to the episode, Sean, and, and Jerry, welcome as well. Um, hope you guys have had a few good weeks here watching and getting ready for the 2016 NFL season. I'm pretty excited for it, and um, we are going to talk week two of the preseason. We'll talk about the Browns and the Pats and some running backs that we saw that played well. But first, you can find us on Twitter at Glory Podcast, on Facebook, Never Ending Glory Podcast. Send us an email, negpodcast at gmail.com, and please search for us, subscribe, rate us on iTunes, Never Ending Glory Podcast. And of course, we are very excited uh, to be partnered with Dynasty Football Warehouse, your one-stop shop for all things fantasy football, IDP, Dynasty, Redraft, Daily. They have a bunch of great content rolling out each day. And uh, coming up, we do have our seasonal series, uh, so you can expect the same articles out each week, uh, at or drop, stock market reports, hot or cold. So definitely check out DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. And we're going to get into fantasy football real quick, and like I said, talk week two of the preseason for the Browns and the Patriots. But first, uh, let's talk a little bit of baseball, Sean, because you and I are both big, uh, you know, you're a Tribe fan, I'm a Sox fan. So let's talk about the Tribe and the Sox because right now they are both at the top of their respective uh, divisions. Obviously, the Tribe right now up six and a half on the Tigers and AL Central, and they're currently the number two seed in the whole AL. Um, so pretty exciting times going on going on at the Jake. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think we're, we've positioned ourselves well. I think we just want to kind of hold the line for the next few weeks and uh, get a series with the tri- Tigers mid-September. I think we've got, still got another one somewhere else, maybe at the end of the year. But uh, maybe that mid-September one could be you know, kind of the final nail in the coffin for the kiddies. And obviously from the Red Sox perspective, a lot more work to be done between them and Baltimore and Toronto. And, you know, that, that evil empire is still kind of hanging around, even after, you know, all the assets that they sold off, which is interesting because you wonder if they're maybe kicking themselves for a couple of them, namely right, right. the the Beltron and, and maybe even Andrew Miller, even though they got, you know, King's Ransom. From and and Chapman, Chapman, too. The, the Chapman trade might might come back to bite them. But, like, yeah, like you said, the AL East is far more competitive than the AL Central. Right now the Sox are at 71-54 and 54 and tied with the Blue Jays in the AL East for the, the lead. Um, and, and Baltimore's right there. But, yeah, recently uh, the Sox have really been playing well do their pitching. Their top two pitchers have been great. David Price and Rick Porcello. Porcello's been one of the best pitchers in the league ever since he came off the DL last season. So, uh, pretty exciting to watch those two pitch. Price had a nice eight-game, eight-inning shutout last night, um, and the bats are just still on fire. Ortiz has been on fire at his age, 40 or 50, or however old he is season, in the last season in the pros. Uh, and Mookie Betts is, is, continues his, his run for the potential uh, MVP. So, uh, Exciting times in Boston, exciting times in Cleveland. Once we get farther into the uh, into the regular season and towards the tail end and, and start talking playoffs in October, we'll dive down a little bit more about the Tribe and the Red Sox. Uh, but right now, we're just locked and loaded full speed ahead with fantasy football and preseason football because we just finished up our week two of the preseason, and we're looking forward to week three starting tomorrow night on Thursday. Um, but real quick, let's talk about the Browns and how they did in week two. I mean, is Cleveland back? Jerry, is that offense back and ready to roll? 
back. I don't know if back's even <laughs> the way to put it. Uh, were they ever there? I mean, it's it's still RG three at the helm. Uh, you know, he, he did look okay. He looked like a typical NFL quarterback should against the Falcons in Week Two. Um, you know, he's he's throwing the ball deep twice to, to Terrell Pryor, and that's been a little bit exciting for Browns fans to see. But you know, number one guy Corey Coleman hasn't been on the field yet. We haven't seen what he can do. He's supposed to play, I believe, this Thursday against the Bucks. Um, but is the offense back? I mean, I've never seen a Hugh Jackson offense in Cleveland. It's going to be hard to describe it. I mean, if they're not I'm just falling, trying to be optimistic here, Jer. Okay. Is there a reason yeah, to be we optimistic? We need the New England sure. guy to be optimistic towards the Cleveland, yeah, yeah. Cleveland fans. Because I, I, don't, I don't see it either. I, I know you guys did a previous podcast, particularly with my brother. and I don't know that I could have been in that one because I'm, I'm pessimistic on RG3. I don't think, A, we can protect him as well as we need to. And I don't think he's capable of making the consistent reads within the framework of an offense. That's not spread oriented and gimmicky. Like he had really the first 12, 14 games in Washington. And then after that, everything started souring because they started defenses planned around and tried to move him in the pocket and, and keep him in the pocket, mess with his mechanics. So I'm not high on, on RG3. I actually think McCown gives us a better chance to win. That said, I don't really care because I still think we're a 3-13 and 13 team, and I'm kind of fine with that. But yes. call me a negative Nancy or whatever. I just – I'm – uh, you know, between some of the, the storylines coming out of Northeast Ohio, you'd have thought we're the second coming of the Cincinnati Bengals last year, and I, I just don't see it. Well, Sean, you know, you're you're usually the never-ending glory podcast ombudsman. Is that how I say it, right? Is that how you say Close it? Close enough. Um, you know, so let, let's get excited about something, though. I mean, this is the first time we've seen uh, capable throws by a quarterback in, in a while now. Uh, you know, obviously Hoyer started off pretty well when he had that starting season, but he went down the shitter real quick. So I think RG3, he's got the pedigree of, of actually having somewhat of a successful track record when he was originally in Washington. Um, I think it's something that the Browns fans should actually be excited about. Is he going to lead you to a Super Bowl? No, but you're finally seeing consistent quarterback play from somebody under center in Cleveland, and you know, you guys being negative Nancys are, are turning around like, what was me and we suck so well, here's here's what the browns want this week this year you uh, two goals really for me and i think sean will agree with me one we need to we- win week one over the eagles why because we need the eagles to go zero and 16 guaranteed first round draft pick for us we'll take that thank you very much and then if we win more than three games that's an improvement for me on the season that gives me something to look forward to for uh for next year and other than that everything else is gravy like they they could have they could lose every starter this season, but they all come back with like brand new cadaver ligaments, and where they're just faster. That's fine. We'll live with that too. But those two things are really all I'm looking for this year. Give me. See, a I'm not even. I'm not even caring about the W's. I I'd rather player progression. I'd, I'd you know guy like Carl Nassib. Um, yeah. You know, some of these some of these these kind of kindred. Some of these other guys we've taken flyer and Cam Irving from last year's draft. I want to see these guys progress so that they're quality starters and players we can count on in next year and then years to come. That That's literally all I care about. I mean, I, it's, I found it actually interesting watching these preseason games because I'm watching just certain guys and not really caring about the outcome or, of certain plays. Um, but I'm also, you know, not sitting here and, and you know, doing cartwheels and, and cheering because Terrell Fire ran fast down the sideline. 
Right, and, and I think Sean, Sean, what he was saying before, he got drowned out by what sounded like an ocean of lava or something like that. <laughs> um, uh, Sean's not excited about Terrell Pryor running fifty-yard post patterns and catching the ball from from RG three, and 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 that's that's fair. I mean, I've seen him going; his value is going nuts right now in dynasty leagues. Um, not only has he been traded for a king's ransom, but in waiver wire periods, teams are spending a lot of money on him. Um, he's been picked up uh, a little bit earlier than expected in draft. And, and he's got that name brand from being the, the quarterback from Ohio State. So a lot of people have been waiting years for him to finally break out and do something somewhat successful in the NFL. Um, but I think, you know, but Jared, people have to remember that once Josh Gordon is back from his four game suspension, once Corey Coleman's on the field, Terrell Pryor's fifth in targets behind those two, Gary Barnage and Duke Johnson. So. Mm-hmm. Not only do people, according to you, have to pump the brakes about RG3, but I suggest people really pump the brakes about Terrell Pryor. Absolutely. Like, Josh Gordon comes back week five against your Patriots, and you'll be there to witness him become number two in targets that day. Um, (laughs) Don't forget, like, Terrell Pryor's only chance of getting anything over a a 10-point fantasy game is if he catches two of those posts in one for a touchdown. He's not going to get looks in the red zone. Um, with with Gary Barnage there, that's that's our go-to guy. And Duke Johnson's probably going to be number two in targets, if anybody. It's so if anybody who's has drafted Terrell Pryor, besides me, obviously, um, they should definitely be trying to get rid of that. Move him, trade him, you know, free agent move, whatever it takes. But he's definitely somebody you need to be leaving off your draft board. Yeah, his value's at an all-time high right now, probably ever. Uh, is he just a field stretcher, though? I mean, is he, is he yes. more of a decoy than than he actually is a serviceable player? Because I, I just he's he's not Steve Smith who runs three routes or Randy Moss who ran three routes. He he he's, he just runs one. Right. I, I haven't seen him do anything. Maybe a fade in the end zone too. He's yeah. like a he's like a really bad version of Mike Evans. Mike Evans does you know a hitch, <laughs> a slant, and a fade, and, and a, a a post, but he also can do a comeback kind of you know he can run a little bit more of the NFL route tree than than Pryor can. So is he he's not draft worthy if you're even in a fourteen team like like us? But is he even going to be on the squad? Who knows. Right. I think I think a lot will be told once we see Corey Coleman play uh, tomorrow night. Uh, his first preseason action, obviously, that that sore hamstrings kept him out the first two weeks. Um, so, uh, you know, Cleveland fans were were optimistic. I'm optimistic about RG three. I'm not optimistic about Terrell Pryor. Um, you should do the same if you have Terrell Pryor on your fantasy team. Trade him now because, like I said, his value is at an all time high. He's really not worth the hassle. Um, but let's talk about a championship team. Okay, well, before guys. We go, before we go on to that, the guy that Sean mentioned that I really have enjoyed watching for the Browns is Carl Nassib. He's a 6'7 DN that is long and, and pretty tough to block, and so far has been my favorite rookie of this, uh, out of this draft class that's been on the field so far because obviously we haven't seen Coleman. I agree. Right, right. Hot take. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and that's Cleveland Browns talk for you. Um, well, I mean, we could talk about Gordon. I think that you know that in and of itself is somewhat of a made-up story. Yeah, I definitely think you know Josh Gordon being traded, being on the trade block, 
is that fabricated? Is was that put out there by the Browns front office, or is that an actual possibility? I mean, the last time we saw Josh Gordon on the field, he wasn't very productive. He's now taken over a year off since his last NFL action. And so really, you know, what team, Sean, if a team is offering a second round pick for Josh Gordon, how do the Browns not jump all over that? Oh, it'd be done yesterday. I think with how the front office thinks, how they look at things, how they view things, I think it would have been done yesterday. I think it was planted and floated out there by Cleveland front office people and through leaks. Um, but then I think, you know, in addition to that, I think they they would like to have him traded for the right price, for the right offer. I just don't think they're going to get it. Right. I think if you had a situation like the Panthers and Kelvin Benjamin last year, I think that's the type of a scenario over the next two to three weeks. Somebody goes down, they're a Super Bowl contender, they need that that player. You can rationalize, you know, selling a, a second round pick in the upcoming draft if you think, hey, I'm going to be picking in the 20s, mid late 20s anyway. Um, let's move this guy and get this guy come week five, right. I, like Jordy Nelson. Same type of scenario. Um, but you know, again, that's that's got that's got to happen here over the next two to three weeks right. before anything even gets thought out. I think if he gets traded, it's moved right around before the deadline, and it's one of those out of the blue on mm-hmm. a Tuesday or Monday on a slow news day. Yeah, and also it's funny. Um, a guy who has has a similar career arc as Josh Gordon popped up on Twitter today, uh, Justin Blackman. Uh, got his sentence for his guilty plea for his 2015 DUI arrest. He got a a year suspended sentence in probation. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that that Josh Gordon doesn't go down that road. But you know, one one false one misstep, and and Gordon is now a suspended for the probably for the rest of his career. I mean, he, he's already been out for a whole season um, or, or season plus. So there aren't a lot of teams that are going to want to take a chance on Josh Gordon in case that he's going to just get kicked out of the league. So, um, you know, one of those teams that, that long has been rumored um, for a landing spot for Zach Ertz, or I'm sorry, not Zach Ertz, Josh Gordon um, was the Patriots and uh, you know, I don't think Belichick's going to touch Josh Gordon now, especially with all the different, um, you know, character issues that we've seen go through New England over the past few years, <clears throat> Aaron Hernandez. Um, so ever since then, Belichick's kind of shied away from the character issue guys, uh, and and they're not about to give up any sort of asset for uh, an athletic player who is is one puff away from uh, a year-long suspension. But, um, you know, Pagers did play. Jimmy G looked great against the Bears, which really isn't tough to do, but it is good to see him take a step forward. Uh, 16 for 21 for 181 and a touch. Uh, the, the big thing here is Deion Lewis for the Patriots out 8 to 10 weeks. So he, had, he tore his ACL last year, week 7. Um, and now he had to have a second surgery to clean up that the, his knee. And if you drafted Deion Lewis, you're screwed. Simple as that. Uh, I know um, Nick Vernon drafted him in our draft, and and your brother Mark, Sean, was able to to pick up Tyler Gaffney and James White, and they seem like very good options. But um, the running back situation in New England currently is pretty scary. Uh, I know, Sean, you're not a big LeGarrette Blunt fan, so where do you see the Patriots going with the running game, that is? I, I think they, they do what they've always done. They just kind of makeshift it. They they play three or four guys. 
you know, maybe put a call into Jonas's Gray, Jonas Gray's agent or something. They'll they'll find these guys to show up. They had that one guy last year that came in for like what one game and had a couple touchdowns or something. And right. they're they're just going to game plan week to week. And I actually think it's for the Patriots team, it's probably a blessing in disguise because I didn't like the idea of bringing Deion Lewis. I thought they should have pupped him in the first place right. and saved him. I think we actually talked about that last time or maybe in our drunken stupor in, in downtown Cleveland when you were in town. <laughs> I just I, I don't see knowing what they, they know their team is going to be and that they're going to you know at least be a top four or five team in the AFC uh, barring you know an utter catastrophe and and or and twelve getting hurt when he comes back, I I just I think it's a no brainer. You actually minimize his wear and tear. Had they had Lewis last year in the playoffs, they they beat Denver. Right. I mean, had they had Lewis when they played Denver, they probably win that game and then have home field. So right. a lot of dynamics change. I just I think it's going to be a blessing in disguise. Yeah. No, I I actually agree a hundred percent. I really didn't want to see them rush him back because an ACL injury is obviously a year-long injury. And, yeah, some players have come back from it sooner. Um, but with with Deion Lewis's game where he's shifty, cuts side to side, he really relies on that outside ligament. So I really wanted just to see them take a step back. And, and kind of like Le'Veon Bell's suspension, I think that was a blessing for in his disguise for him, too, to let that MCL heal a little bit longer. Um, you know, James White's going to step in. He's not as dynamic of a back. I saw something like the Patriots offense was uh, three yards um, an attempt worse with Deion Lewis off the field and other running backs in there. Um, they really do struggle because Deion Lewis was the best the best receiving or running back they ever had, probably since Kevin Falk back in the early 2000s, early to mid-2000s. So, you know, you're definitely going to see James White come in. His, his value is sky high right now in fantasy. Last season, he averaged five receptions for 50 yards and just under a touchdown a game. So he's going to be a PPR stud. I mean, you could see him being drafted very early, in, in PPR drafts, I'm talking if he's there in the eighth, seventh round, maybe as your RB two, RB three, great value there. I think very s- similar to Theo Riddick because you, you got to expect with Jimmy Garoppolo uh, having a lot of checkdowns that that James White is just going to be active all the time. And Legarrette Blunt's not much of a receiver; he can't catch it all. Actually, he's more of a run three yards and fall down. Um, Donald Brown got cut, so he's not even an option out there. Um, but another sleeper is Tyler Gaffney, who we talked about last time. And and Gaffney, he's more of a a, a dual threat where he can run and catch. So uh, he's definitely gonna. I think he's gonna stick around for sure, um, and and have a pretty solid role on this offense because, like I said, Legarrette Blunt is just not a dynamic player whatsoever. Um, but an interesting nugget that came out today as well is uh, Brian Stork, who's a former starting center. He was the starting center out of Florida State his rookie season when they went to the when they won the Super Bowl. Originally was going to be cut, and then it came out they got traded to the Redskins. And now he's talking about retiring. So a lot going on there. Uh, feisty player, had concussion issues. So um, there's a good chance that maybe the Patriots decided that he's too much of a high risk with his concussions and they just they simply can't use him anymore. Um, so, you know, a lot We're of term- talking about a center on a fantasy podcast. Jerry you guys, talked about, you guys talked about him last he, week. You talked about defensive just- end. He, he Jerry Burris might draft this kid. He might try to pick him up on free agency. He very well could. I, I don't know. 
I don't know if you ever know. You could get one of those sneaky uh, fat guy tight end touchdowns. (laughs) Well, not not anymore for the Patriots. Um, So there is a little bit of turmoil going on with the Patriots, but uh, Friday night they will be going up against the Carolina Panthers, and I'm sure Brady won't play because why the hell would you risk him? Uh, Gronk came back to practice for the first time since august 15th so uh we might see some of him on on friday night but it'll be interesting to see what jimmy g can do against a pretty challenging front seven in carolina um and also you know if he can continue to get the ball to chris hogan who has really emerged as the best outside receiver for the patriots and could take away some time from danny amendola on the inside um and and as has proven to potentially be a very good free agent signing um, so, you know, keep an eye on the Patriots there. Obviously, this team, they're not going to show too, too much in the preseason. Um, that's just Bill Belichick's way. But uh, let's segue into some more preseason updates from week two. And more specifically, guys, I want to talk about the running backs. There's a lot of running backs there who impressed uh, in, in week two and who, who were seeing their value skyrocket as draft season moves forward in August. Um, so, Sean, I want to hear, were there any guys that really impressed you in week two? I was drunk for most of it. So okay, take everything I say with a grain <laughs> of salt. But I, I'm, I would say, you know, obviously some of the secondary guys um, are that are, uh, you know, important handcuffs. I'm, I'm interested, you know, Jeremy Hill, Lacey, Christian Michael, who I picked up free agent right after the draft. Those are the ones that that I'm actually I think are, are building that intrigue. I think those are some of the ones that you had highlighted. So obviously you got some point of view on it, Luke. But I, I would agree with each of those three. Um, and then you know what handcuffs do you want to have? Right, right. Well, I know the um, Seattle the Seattle running back situation is close to my heart, having drafted Thomas Rawls about two rounds too early. Right. Um, <laughs> they're literally just bringing guys that were throwing fish in Seattle's uh, market. And just let them try out, and they're getting more yards per carry than uh, Thomas Rawls right now. It's it's unbelievable. Well, a silver lining, though, it sounds like Jay Ajay actually had a pretty good outing as well. Uh, so, And then he's getting a little bit more burn in practice. I read an article like Miami's maybe trying to see what they actually have in Arian Foster. So there could there could be some intrigue there maybe maybe the veteran that everybody kind of thought would would get more time starts to take a little bit of backseat to the younger guy so that that could be a true timeshare luke i don't know what you've heard in in that particular situation yeah i heard a pretty similar story um just that you know adam gase thought he really didn't see much from arian foster because he really didn't have an opportunity in week two to showcase what he's got and whether or not he's really back from that torn achilles um I definitely think that we're going to see a little bit more from Arian in week three and see if he can hold up against real NFL competition and not just scrubs that were signed off the waiver wire uh, to fill some bodies during camp. Well, he's not getting touched in camp. I mean, he's not hitting the ground consistently either. Right. You know, as we saw on Hard Knocks, no one's allowed to touch Todd Gurley, which had to make you quite pleased. I'm very happy with that. Nobody touched Todd Gurley. Please, please. I, I've invested so much in Todd Gurley this year in fantasy football that the instant he goes down, I'm just going to cry and, and my season's over. And every well, just remember, you invested in Jeff Fisher, that mustache, <laughs> that coaching staff, which might be the worst coaching staff in the league other than Mike Singletary. Don't worry. Chris that Winky coaching staff is, uh, is so damn bad. He's in charge, <laughs> Chris Winkie's in charge of that QB room. you got nothing to worry about. 
Loved seeing Chris Wanky back there. I couldn't when when all of a sudden it came up on Hard Knocks that Chris Wanky was the quarterbacks coach. My eyes lit up because I just think back to the Wanky and Work connection back in the uh, late '90s and how phenomenal and majestic that was. Um, Are you guys buying get... or selling Chris Wanky swearing at the quarterbacks? Like, could you take him? Oh, I buy. I buy Chris Wanky. He's actually of course been you a do. Your Knowles. Uh, nah, but he he was he was big at at IMG Academy, and then he left, and and some of they they had a bunch of kids kicked out. They've had a lot of issues since that, and the, I think the coach now is Steve Walsh, the old NFL player. So a little little factoid there, but um, I, I buy him. Everything I've read about him is that he's about as fast as a riser in the coaching ranks as, as that's around. And I kind of like the no nonsense stuff. Now, not to this extent that that Greg Williams demonstrates. But because no. that guy's just oh, an he's utter prick, total chode. He's it's almost like what person could hire that man and take him seriously at this point? Like that whole tough guy like role as a coach is not what the NFL is like. Yeah. What, what those players are like anymore? It's not. It's, that, that, it's like yeah, a 1970s or 1980s personality type that just doesn't. Yeah, that that shit's played out, no doubt about it. I mean, the one though that seems to carry the most respect and he's an assistant coach so you don't see him during the games as singletary so that's an interesting thing because i mean he commands respect from those guys unless they cut it with the cameras or whatever else but like that dude's a madman yes well Singletary always. I see. Like, I feel like he always had a screw loose. I mean, he. It's, it's a hardo move just to be sitting there on the sideline with a big wooden cross, um, you know, just just bulging out of your shirt. And I think Mark actually used to have one of those that he wore uh, to a few weddings back in <laughs> that. He put on the rearview mirror. He dangled it from. <laughs> that was a rosary, I think. That's right. That's right. Um, but while we're talking about L.A., you know, obviously Todd Gurley is the offense. The offense is going through Gurley, and he's primed for 300-plus touches, both not only on the ground but also in the air. Um, but who's the handcuff in L.A.? You know, right now, obviously it's not Trey Mason. He's just going straight loco. I mean, he's he's pulling a uh, Delonte West pretty much of just riding nah, down. He's, he's kicking it with Farky. He's AWOL. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was funny. I heard that Trey Mason was, uh, he was doing drills in his parents' front yard. Um, you know, so TMZ cut up with him or something like that. But just, just imagine an NFL player in Florida doing drills in his parents. It, I just feel like that would be so asinine. Um, but actually fun fact, do you know who his father is? Who Trey Mason's? Yeah. No. It's not Desmond Mason, is it? It's one of the guys from um, from De La Soul, the rap group. Are you serious? That's, use- that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a useless fun fact. <laughs> so are you, swear saying, to God. are you saying that Trey Mason was doing drills in his front yard by himself, like me, myself, and I? Right. That's, that's well, a De La like Soul that. joke. That was good. That was <laughs> <Wow>. good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so obviously Trey Mason's out of the out of the conversation, uh, and there's two other running backs that have emerged, and one of them has been fantasy friendly in the past, and the other one is a relatively unknown. Um, we've seen Benny Cunningham have a role in fantasy football in the past, you know, as, as a pass catcher, um, and when the the starting running back in St. Louis at the time was down, um, and then Malcolm Brown was a rookie last year. But it seems like that Brown's been getting the early down works 
uh, once Gurley's out of the game and and Benny Cunningham is still relegated to the the early pa- or the passing down role if if Todd Gurley does miss some time. So, um, Sean, do you see either of these guys being worthy of either being rosterable or just like kind of on your watch list if you're a Gurley owner or just if you have uh, a free spot on your roster in general? I think if you're a Gurley owner, you should have Malcolm Brown in it. The reason that I would say that is, is if they lose Todd Gurley for any extended period of time, they're going to play Malcolm Brown. They're not going to bother with with Cunningham. So, right. and if you lose him for a game or two, okay, I can you can make the case with Cunningham, but under that scenario, you're probably going to start who else is on your bench ahead of him because those guys may split carry. So, uh, that that'd be the position that I would at least take. Um, and, you know, I think there's some other guys that it, it, some of these handcuffs now are two guys and not just one. Right. So it, it's particularly difficult anymore trying to pick between the two unless you have Christian Michael and then you have a number one back that just needs work in my case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like we've been mentioning, Michael's really been just charging up the draft boards lately. Um, he's always been a hyped up player that. Uh, is finally it seems like figured it out you know how to be an NFL player because he's he's impressing and he's he's making the most of his opportunity um you know that the whole Seattle running back situation is a different story for a different day Thomas Rawls should be the guy but remember Thomas Rawls was a nobody when he came into the league as well so um I feel like he can be easily replaced and and maybe we're seeing that with with uh, Christine Michael sorry Burris um but I another, you have to play. If you don't play, right? I mean, if you're not practice and these coaches don't see you, and another guy starts popping, they'll move on to the next one. Absolutely, and that's that's how the NFL, especially with these un, you know these undrafted free agents or these sixth and seventh round guys, and yeah, they don't have a sunk cost in these guys. Exactly, exactly. And, and another player that kind of is in the same situation right now is in Indianapolis behind Frank Gore. There's Josh Ferguson, who's a seventh-round pick, and and he was just being hyped up by all the fantasy experts as the handcuff to own for Frank Gore because, you know, we've been waiting. It's been five years, and we've always been saying that Frank Gore is almost done. He's done. He's done. But he continues to come back, and he continues to be somewhat productive. Granted, he does slow down towards the end of the season. Um, But Josh Ferguson's really struggled and has been outplayed by Jordan Todman, who's a journeyman running back, and also a, a former just another guy who just Seattle spits up and churns out and former Cleveland Brown, Robert Turbin. So, Sucks. so, <laughs> but who's the handcuff in Indy right now? Do you just, personally, this is going to be a blistering hot sports take. They don't have their handcuff on the roster right now. I agree a hundred percent. I actually don't know what Indy is. I, right. I don't know if they're going to be good defensively or at least serviceable. I don't know if they're going to be good offensively. I kind of feel like, they're going to make or break because of Luck, Hilton, Moncrief. Yeah. Like if, if those three guys are healthy, they're going to still put up numbers. If they're not, I don't know what the hell they are. Yeah. They're, well, not, yeah, they're not a pop offense for sure. They are about as vanilla as you're going to see. And if those three can't get it done, I don't know. I can't name anybody else besides Frank Gore on that team, let alone somebody that's going to do anything that's going to scare a defense. That's why you're terrible at fantasy. Though. You don't know <laughs> No, no, no. You know what I mean. As a Dwayne as a, Allen. D- yes, of course, Dwayne Allen and um, Philip Dorsett. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, he he's got Vontae, Did I hear Vontae Davis got hurt today? 
Oh, and they signed. They signed Crow Marty. Everybody's getting pregnant in Indy. Yes, they oh, are. hide your kids. Hide <laughs> your women. Um, <laughs> didn't he have a vasectomy that didn't take? Didn't take. It's just too strong. <laughs> too strong. Strongest sperm ever oh in the world. Oh my god. Oh my god. No, but back to back to Indy. Um, I really think, like I said, that their their backup running backs are on the roster, and I think that backup running backs. I think it's going to be Ronnie Hillman. Uh, in in Denver, Ooh. in Denver, we're seeing Devonte Booker take over the number two role behind C.J. Anderson, and I mean personally, I would keep Ronnie Hillman around because he's a pretty solid player. Last last year, he had over 800 rushing yards. I don't see why they're so sour on him, um, but if he becomes a free agent. He'd be great in that offense. He'd be a great pass. He, he might be better than Frank Gore. Truthfully. I agree. I mean, yeah. On that turf and whatnot, I, I hadn't actually thought of that, but I did hear rumblings of where Hillman kind of stood for what he was costing and everything else. So right, right. that's particularly interesting. That that'd be a good play, I think, on both sides. So that'd be better for Hillman, and that'd be obviously better for for Indianapolis because I, I I agree. I don't think there's anything there worth a shit. Right. Right. So, you know, that's Indy, that's L.A. Also, we saw a pretty impressive game from Alfred Morris, former stud running back from the Redskins. You know, we always thought that Darren McFadden was the handcuff for Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, but it ends up that Alfred Morris looks like he's going to be the guy that, that Zeke owners want to roster. Uh, Alf went up for 13 for 85 and, and a touchdown behind that great offensive line in Dallas and you know he's not going to be a standalone running back for your fantasy squad but you know who knows what Zeke is going to do we've never seen him up against NFL competition if he gets dinged up if this hamstring injury won't go away Alfred Morris is a great speculative ad on this team um Sean any other any other running backs that you think could potentially be pretty solid for you to pick up in your later well you know you bring up Alfred Morris and I'll I'll tie it back to Washington a a little bit too because Matt Jones was injured um Chris Thompson would be the guy that I think I would like the most, maybe not the first game or two. I just think that offense starts to turn into real pass happy, yep. and that's where Gruden will gravitate towards. And Chris Thompson is a, is a legit PPR guy if he can play 16 games. If he plays 16 games, he, he's got 60 catch potential. Definitely. In him, and he's one of those sneaky guys that's been a little underrated or under the radar. But you could pop him and start him every once in a while and get quite a bit out of it. And you know, the other thing back to Alfred Morris, the thing that's so damn frustrating is he wasn't the goal line back in Washington and they went to Matt Jones, and now he goes to Dallas, and now they're talking as if he's the goal line back. It's just, it's these different teams and their viewpoints on runners, different running kind of styles with with offensive line schemes. It's just, it's really tough when you get to dynasties, how these guys bounce around, you give up on them. And then all of a sudden, you know, one man's trash is another's treasure. It, it, it's what makes it kind of compelling, but it also pisses you off when right. you're on the wrong side of it. I hear you. I hear you. And, and, and going back to Washington, you know, I don't even want to touch that running back situation. You know, like I said, Chris Thompson's a pretty solid player. He definitely could have 60 catches in a PPR format. He'd be great. Um, but other than I, I think Matt Jones sucks. I think he's a very under okay. – he's, he's not an athletic player. He's not he, – he had a few games where he popped just because he was given 30 rushing attempts. Um, well, he's a high runner. He gets dinged up, and right. he doesn't catch the ball at all. 
Right. And he just was not overly impressive last year. And, you know, and now they have Robert Kelly, as they're saying, is the next guy up. And the only Robert Kelly that I know of is a big fat comedian from Boston who yes. made fun of me for eating too many nachos one time at a show. True story. Bobby um, Kelly. And, that and was then for your, your, your uh, CrossFit days, though. Right, you, right. You wouldn't be but, talking that shit now. <laughs> <laughs> I power clean the shit out of him. Um, Definitely wouldn't clean and jerk him though. <laughs> no, I'm saying. Um, but you know, wow. we'll, we'll we'll cut that out, right? Right, Jair. We'll cut <laughs> no, we'll leave it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the other guy, you know, is, is Keith Marshall in Washington, who originally was supposed to be the next guy up. And it's so funny, you know. Again, it's he was quick. my sleeper to the Pats. Remember at the draft, right? Talk, he was right. My sleeper to the Pats. But like, it's just you know, I think a lot of times in dynasty, people get way too hyped up with. Um, player situation and they're saying that well because this guy is the next running back in washington he's worth an rb2 in a trade and he's worth a first round pick and you know remember these guys aren't good you know there's a reason why they're drafting the seventh round yeah every now and then you're gonna have an alfred morris success story where he comes out of nowhere and produces solid numbers for you but more often than not probably 95 percent of the time these guys are going to suck. So you really got to keep that in mind when you're – Well, I'd go a step further. Browns are going to have back-to-back years where I believe they're going to cut a fourth-rounder and a fifth-rounder. <laughs> they're going to cut – they cut Maley two year, last year, and I'm almost positive they're cutting this Peyton kid from UCLA. Oh, wow. So, and, and Marshall was, what, a six-round? I mean, like people get – like. Just because they draft them doesn't really mean anything that late. Right. You don't have the level of investment. And if you get an undrafted guy and he comes up, it actually still makes you look like front office geniuses for finding this diamond in a rough. So it's all about like a little narrative here and there. I, yeah, I, I think so much of it is, is a guy gets a little injured and then they're like, well, that rookie's totally new. So we don't know if he total if he completely sucks yet. So we'll automatically bump his value up. And it's like, well, this guy's not bad. This guy's not bad. You know, the guy like Darren Sproles to me is criminally underrated. Yeah. And, you know, you read the early part of camp and he's their best running back. And now all of a sudden he's their third running back. I just, I don't see it when push comes to shove, when coaches have to win, they're going to put Darren Sproles on the field than Ryan Matthews or Kenyon Barner. It just, you know, maybe as the season goes along, but I think when, when there's certain critical points, they're going to run with the guys that they know are proven. Well, and they're, he's criminally undervalued because he's he's short and he's small and coaches don't think that they can run him 20, 25 times a game and keep him upright all season. So I get that part of it, but you know, if you have a somewhat talented runner behind him in, in Matthews, who granted his ligaments are made out of paper mache, um, still run Darren Sproles, run him, you know, see what he can do, see if he can be your, your, your lead back and, and, and use him out of the backfield and, and, and utilize his skills. Cause even in fantasy drafts, I mean, when he was in New Orleans, he got drafted relatively high and, and rightfully so. Cause he's putting up 80 some odd catches a season. But even in Philly, I feel like the past two, three years, he's been underrated in fantasy football and he really he's hasn't 60 been... catch guy. I'll put it this way. New Orleans thought they had the next one in Spiller. And Oops. how's that worked out for him? Yeah, seriously. Jerry, you got Spiller. Yes, I do. How do you feel about that? Uh, <laughs> there's a coppery taste in my mouth right now. It tastes a little bit like vomit, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> Long season. Hey, Long season. hey, hey, I'll put it the Jerry, we have you know this Spiller's another guy that could be a, a cap casualty, roster casualty that could 
fall into a, a team that might fit a little bit better for him. Yeah, he might not actually make the uh, New Orleans squad. He might be going somewhere else. So, which um, that's frustrating. Does that? That's does that... so. Go ahead. That's so frustrating, though, because Spiller is perfect for that offense. Yes. He's a, he's I know. It, that, that's just the thing. Yeah, I kind of say that a little tongue-in-cheek. Like, he can go to a different situation that might work out better for him. And truthfully, I don't. there isn't a better one for him. No. I just don't, for whatever reason, everybody thought he was going to be Reggie Bush. He's not even been half the player Reggie Bush has been. Has no, been. he's been. T- and that's what I don't get. I know that he had that injury last year. And, you know, Mark Ingram, when he was healthy, played great and and really opened up his game and became more of a three-down back, a pass-catching specialist. But even when Ingram went down with a season-ending injury last year, Spiller was nowhere to be found. And no. I don't know if that's just because Peyton's like, screw this guy. Who? Why do we Why do we sign him? But, you know, that, that year that Spiller had, uh, you know, a breakout season and I took him third overall the next year and he decided to puke down his leg um, – he showed that in space, he is one of the best and most talented players probably in the league. And so you figure he goes to New Orleans where they specialize in getting their players in space and he can't even sniff the field. I mean, sometimes he wasn't even active last year. So I don't, there's something going on there that we don't know about. And it, it, it's going to come out after he leaves New Orleans that he's got naked pictures of, you know, or Payne's getting naked pictures of his wife or something like that because there, there's something going on. I think on he's addicted. Blood. I think he just think he's addicted to purple drink. I, that's my <laughs> my thing with all these guys that suck. I just think they're just addicted to the purple drink. I, th- so I he- think there's an oversimplification here. I think that <laughs> the the simplicity of the offense he was in in Buffalo compared to that which uh, Peyton's running down in New Orleans is night and day. I think right. that uh, he may not be able to pick up that playbook right away and know exactly where he's lining up the way Darren Sproles did for them. Right. And, you know, maybe this is the year he breaks out, and luckily he's on my squad. Glad to have you. You're wishful today. thinking. Yes, I, I think am. I'm trying to rationalize true. this. All of that's true, but he's still addicted to football. <laughs> so he moved that He moved down, moved down to Nolens and, you know, got up with Lil Wayne and Juvenile back in the yeah, Magnolia or something like that. and Purple okay. Drink. He probably okay. mixed Purple Drink and those Hurricanes, like the, the, the drinks on Bourbon Street. <laughs> so you think, maybe, you think maybe Jamarcus, hurricane. you think maybe Jamarcus Russell's hanging out with them too? No question. He hipped into the game in Baton Rouge. <laughs> Oh goodness! Well, the, all this backup talk, you know, it, it's obviously it's it's great to have this information because most people do have their drafts coming up, or if they already have their drafts, they can pick these guys up off waivers. Um, but there's a couple running backs that I've invested in this year as well, and and it looks like so far they've been playing well this preseason. Um, Sean, your thoughts on you know is it can Jeremy Hill come back from his sophomore year slump where he just really underwhelmed? Um, and is is Eddie Lacy ready to finally break out of that shell of fat that's around him? And is he going to get back to the you know thousand yard plus twelve touchdown running back who got you RB one numbers every week? See, I, I still feel with Lacy, he's he's an injury waiting to happen. He runs a little bit too upright for for my liking, and then when he bends, he kind of. He bends almost like straight, parallel with the ground with his, his chest, head, and, and and kind of back. So I, I don't know. I, I and he doesn't have very good vision when it comes to that. Jeremy Hill is interesting because I actually thought he started to get right towards the back end of the year last year, and he, he had the fumble in the playoffs and whatnot. But I, yeah, I can see him having a nice bounce back 
you know, he's talented, third year, a little bit of a setback last year. You know, if I was if I was looking at, at guys, you know, on a list of the potential to step back up into the expectations we had for him heading into last year, he's one. You know, one that I would go the other direction with would be like a Melvin Gordon. You know, at some point, does does he have a little bit of Trent Richardson to him? Like, yeah. could could he Let's have maybe that. more of that than than you know the the talent to succeed at at this level? Because you look at that running back situation, he might be the third run, best running back on that roster. Because Brandon Oliver wasn't bad last year, and obviously. You know, Danny Woodhead with a team that's probably going to be down a lot because their offensive line sucks. They're going to be chucking it, and Rivers is really comfortable with Woodhead. Yeah, yeah. Jer, and Melvin um, Gordon doesn't catch the ball. Now, he did have a touchdown well, catch, have, but he, he doesn't really catch yeah, the ball very well. Right. He, he's your typical Wisconsin running back who just comes out after running the ball 350 times a year in college and is just pretty much worn down by the time he gets to the pros. Um, but, Jerry, I want to get, get your thoughts on on Jeremy Hill and Eddie Lacy um, because, obviously, Hugh Jackson leaving uh, Cincinnati and you know, his quote-unquote high-flying offense and, and maybe – Cincinnati goes back to the ground and pound, and I want to hear from a coach's standpoint what, what you think might that offense might turn into. Well, I think you still have a great one-two combo between Hill and, and Geo. Um, I don't know if Andy really changes with Hugh Jackson leaving. They're still going to be you know, first down, second down with him. Geo Bernard will come in and be there receiving um, running back, kind of like what they're trying to do in Cleveland with uh, Duke Johnson. Now, Jeremy Hill is way more talented than a, a, a Crowella here in Cleveland. So uh, I still see Hill being an, a legit RB1 for, for a team that's got him. Um, he's not going to have to worry about Gio Bernard taking away, you know, first down touches from him like um, the way they split a couple, a couple years ago. The, the guy that I think um, – um, is going to make a bounce back, and I have to disagree with Sean, is Eddie Lacy. I think the losing the weight thing, I think, is going to be huge for him. Um, it means he's on the field more for third down. He's not gassed in the longer drives. I think that Eddie Lacy has a real chance to be a top-five running back this year in the NFL. I, I, and having Jordy Nelson spreads them out a little bit more and gets them what they want out of the uh, – Offensive looks this year. I think Eddie Lacy is going to be a real threat. You just don't lose weight though and not get hurt. Like you become more brittle. <laughs> well, have you done, have you done P ninety X? I did P ninety X for about forty two days, and I'll tell you what, um, I got definitely a little bit way more flexible than I was doing. You know, just regular weightlifting, Olympic lifting style stuff. And if if Tony Horton, if you ever see him in person. That man's made out of solid granite. And if he works with Eddie Lacy like the way we thought he did. I don't give a shit about Tony <laughs> Horton. If you get – here's my thing. If you get hurt, you're perpetually – like it, you're always going to get injured. You're prone perpetually to getting injured. So just because you lose weight, I'm supposed to just close my eyes and act like all history didn't actually happen. I just don't buy it. If he plays 16 games, you, you can have me back on and yell at me and make fun of me and then make me do some, PM you know, buy an autographed Tony Horton shirt or whatever the hell his name is. But <laughs> I just don't think he's he's doing it. Like, if he doesn't pull a hammy by week four, okay, then, then maybe I'll start to turn around a little bit. I just, 
the guy gets hurt all the time. He, he he's never played more than I think like 15, 14 games. So show me. Don't tell me. I wish right. I, I wish I could. Um, <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> I don't well, know. I, Just email me Tony Horton videos, and maybe I'll turn my mind around on this. Because I'm, do, I'm you know, doing this my guy shredded, like you say. I'm doing my best to to Google. Eddie, there we go. I'm getting to his Roto World profile. I am very curious to see how many. So no, I mean, he's missed two games his whole career. He played 15 games his rookie year. He played 16 games his second year, and he played 15 games last year. Obviously, last year he wasn't very good. Um, that was the worst season of his career. But you know, his second year in the league, he averaged 4.6 yards a carry, had 42 receptions, had. 13 total touchdowns. Uh, he's been a durable player. He's been yes. a good player. So the Here's my thing. Maybe he's played games. I just feel like he gets knocked out in the first quarter. I had him two years ago, and he drove me batshit crazy. Or maybe it was a year ago. He drove me crazy. I had to trade his ass. He didn't finish drives. Like, that's the thing is he's good. In, he was good in bursts, like six plays, seven plays at the most. And then he had to go out. He couldn't. He couldn't so you're saying surprise. he's going to replace John Kuhn now on these one yard touchdown runs? Yes, I think he can replace the John Kuhn situation. Absolutely. Then maybe I'll stand corrected. I, I just having had the guy, and maybe it's because every damn week he's got like that Q next to him, and I don't know <laughs> if he's a start or not. So and maybe I'll be corrected here, or, or obviously I'm already somewhat corrected from his career because I didn't think he had played that type of seasons, but. Well, well, I think I think last year because he was in the doghouse, everybody kind of dogged on him and said that he was just you know maybe the, you know obviously what have you done for me lately? And last he year he was benched last year. Like, yeah, for James he was Stark. benched yeah, multiple he, times. He had a couple games where he only he rushed for five yards, five yards, four. Or I'm sorry, three carries, four carries, five carries, five carries. I mean, there's there's four games where he had under five carry, five or under carries. Um, but he also came back and flashed and had 24 rushes for 124 yards and a touchdown against Dallas. So I think you're going to see, Jerry, you brought this up, that adding um, Jordy Nelson back to this offense, and, and we're hoping that he can come back from a torn ACL. And the way he plays his game, you know, he's not a shifty receiver. He's more of a downfield threat. I think he should come back just okay. Um you know, between him opening up the offense and Randall Cobb getting more open, and they brought in Jared Cook, who's not a bad tight end. Mm-hmm. And if Devontae Adams can take a step forward, you know, you're going to see Aaron Rodgers play better. And that's going to cause a lot more softer front sevens for Eddie Lacy. He, maybe he's only going against four in the box, and and Aaron Rodgers can check out of a pass to a run. So I'm, I'm high on Eddie Lacy. I actually made a huge trade for him today. Um, broadly enough, I did give up Aaron Rodgers, but whatever. It takes talent to get know. talent. I want to know what defense plays with four in the box, by the way. That's, that's I know. I, I, I messed. I, 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 that's a special. Wait, is this, the, is this with Conley you made this? No, no, different league, different league. Oh, okay. Yeah, different league. Um, yeah, my, you, you know what I mean. Meaning a, a much softer defensive front uh, than, than what he was used to last year. Because last year, when it was only Randall Cobb, who was just not a true number one wide receiver, and James Jones and Devontae Adams were on either side of him, they just stacked the box and they just, they stopped Eddie Lacy. And he's not a shifty player. He's he's going to run forward really hard and try to knock you over and try to run through you and break tackles. So um, I'm high on Eddie Lacy this year. I, I agree with you, Jerry. I think he could be a top five running back this season, and, and he's going to definitely Definitely, you know, change a lot of people's opinions, and, and hopefully, change um, Ombudsman Sean's uh, opinion as well. It's a big will. Man, if, it's a big. Wolf. If he don't, you guys are gonna hear it. <laughs> Mark it down. So 
We talked about a bunch of running backs. Another player, real quick, I do want to mention another Bama running back who continues to be very impressive is Derrick Henry for the Titans. I think he's playing where he's not a DeMarco Murray handcuff anymore. They're going to run the ball close to 40 times a game, I bet. Maybe 35 times a game. So Derrick Henry is going to have value as a standalone running back for your fantasy team. He's he's not going to be drafted as a starter. But if you run with a flex or if you need an RB3, I really think Derrick Henry can be that guy for you. I mean, when we had our draft two weeks ago, he was more just if you drafted DeMarco Murray, you make sure you get Derrick Henry. But now... I think Derrick Henry climbs up probably two or three rounds into the fifth, sixth round, and I'm thinking of him as as potentially being a player that I'm going to start more than once a season. So, um, I mean, yeah, Sean, I would say J- this again. Let's relax. They aren't running forty times if they're down by twenty five points, and that True. team, I'm not sure, is very good. So things look neat and nice in the preseason, but this shit's preseason. There's a reason why they don't. They got six dollar tickets, and no one's going to this shit. <laughs> product sucks no but i'll tell you what though i saw a few games where or a few runs where derrick henry looked good just just his hips were moving he he wasn't just running people over he was getting through the hole he had great vision i mean i really think that he's going to be a very good running back in the nfl and i I, I, I don't like i don't like demarco murray i think demarco murray sucks i think he had one great year other than that he's overrated he's overpaid i i wouldn't be surprised if derrick henry has a better year than demarco murray this year I wouldn't be surprised by that. I, I could see, yeah, I, I could see it going south, south on uh, Tennessee a little bit, and they're looking at it, the two guys and saying, "Why the hell are we paying this one or playing this one guy when we should be playing this other guy and seeing what we have?" Right. Right. But the problem is, is they're paying DeMarco Murray for the next three years, big money. So they're pretty yeah. much they're pretty much stuck. That in the NFL, like these guys are, at some point they're they're. They're fully appreciated, and you can just release their ass. Right, but the, the, that's what I'm saying about about Demarco Murray, though, is that his contract for like the first three years is where he's getting most of his money. It's not a back back loaded contract, so they're they're in with Demarco Murray for at least three. Oh, did years. they? He sign a new deal with them? Yeah, he was a free agent. He got cut by the Eagles and then signed with the Titans. I thought I thought he got traded. Okay, all right. No, nope, no. Nope. So. Um, okay, so running backs, you know, obviously a very important position in fantasy football, and, and we like to keep you guys abreast of the current situations and, and let you know who's playing well in preseason, who's struggling. Um, I'm going to go off script right here and just say that another guy struggling right now, Sammy Coates, drafted him really early. I <laughs> I pimped him up as one of my uh, one of my sleepers this year, and and he's now uh, getting benched by uh, or benched in favor of a guy named Eli Rogers. So um, that's not working out too well. He's dumber than hell. I got all the <laughs> scoop from all my Pittsburgh Yenzers. From- <sighs> So he From had that yeah, he, that I was living in. So <laughs> he had another uh, forgettable <laughs> night, uh, two catches for thirty yards in week two of the preseason. So um, that's on me. I'll, I'll take all the uh, the the blame for that. Um, but let's let's end the show on a high note and talk about the NFL dumbass of the week. And when I brought this up to you two, you know, I was firmly on the team side, and and then Sean brought up some good points about the. The player side. So let's talk about Joey Bosa and the San Diego Chargers. Chargers came out today that they are done negotiating with Joey Bosa, um, that they offered him more money in 2016 than every 
rookie in the uh, in this year's class, except for Carson Wentz, who's a quarterback and is going to get paid more money anyways. Um, after an initial signing bonus payment that's larger than any rookie has received in the last two NFL drafts, and the largest payment and the highest percentage of signing bonus received in the first calendar of any Chargers first-round pick, since the adoption of the NFL's collective bargaining agreement in 2011, where um, rookie picks were actually slotted a contract value. So, Sean, explain to me why Joey Bosa is not the asshole here, because from everything that I'm reading, it seems like he's just digging his heels in all so he gets his money paid up front versus getting it paid deferred like every other rookie in the NFL. Luke, you're just a company man. That's what this all boils <laughs> down to. The fact of the matter is you're reading this via the press release – the Bosa's agent and representation basically came out and contrasted it quite a bit and started talking about the deferral money and things. Okay, so there may have been up front, but then what happens is he doesn't get natural triggers like some of these rookies do, i.e. for reporting to camp or for a first sack or being on the roster February 1st or March 1st next year. So all of these things that they were not only going to catch back up to him and then exceed him, he was basically getting this boilerplate, every San Diego rookie gets this. Philip Rivers held out actually I think a week and a half longer than where we are even right oh, now. Sean, I've got, the, I've got the list right here. It's It goes all the way back to LaDainian Tomlinson. LaDainian Tomlinson was LaDainian Tomlinson, Quentin Jammer, Merriman. Maribyn, I mean, yeah, all of these rookie guys that were top 10 picks for them have had issues with holding out. And it's consistent in how the Chargers do it is different than every other team in the league with some of their deferrals and some of the things that, that they've got within their bonus packages and whatnot. They can spin it however they want, but what they did today is they tried to make an enemy out of Joey Bosa with the fan base right? in the last-ditch effort to kind of get him and his representation to cave. He's got Tom Condon. This isn't Drew Rosenhaus. Mm-hmm. This is a guy in the league circles that's pretty well-respected. He's not had, to my understanding, he's not had a Charger top 10 deal before. So he's looking at this, reading through it, and actually telling Bosa, you don't need to do this deal. Don't do this deal. Now, does Bosa probably want to get on the field? Everything I've ever heard about the guy? Absolutely. But he's also not financially put out. So, you know, his father was, was a holdout himself. His uncle played in the league. And, you know they've got you know money. They've got connections um, through NFL teams and, and other teams. You know, obviously there, there's a dynamic that's pretty unique here. If he holds out, you know, longer, at some point it's just going to be more beneficial for him to sit the whole year and go back into the draft. Now he'll lose money, but if San Diego starts like really holding firm on yanking this offer, then I think you know if he's principle based he might not cave on this. So this could get particularly interesting as the weeks go along here once the season starts. Now, and I'm curious if this is why Eli Manning did not want to be traded and forced his way out of San Diego back in 2004. um, He eventually got... Right, he right. eventually got traded for uh, for Phillip Rivers. So, you know... It's also why Cush from Jerry Maguire did not want to surf in San Diego. He wanted to (laughs) ski in Denver. And Jerry couldn't get that done. But Bob Sugar got that shit done. 
So it goes all the way back to Jerry Maguire. It goes back before Ladainian Tomlinson and Quentin. That's what it's all about, man. Okay, okay, fair enough. So I think you swayed me. I mean, there it sounds like that San Diego is nickel and diming Joey Bosa, and while you know he's worked his ass off for the past twenty some odd years, and maybe he maybe San Diego looks at as that these rookies aren't entitled to to what they're getting. But you, you sign the CBA and. Uh, you know, stop nickel and diming these guys who who are beating the crap out of their bodies in order to fill your pockets. Take that, San Diego Chargers brass. So hey, this with, is the number. This is the easiest time for you to make the money unless you get a JJ Watt type second right. deal. Like you right. have to make all your money if you're a first rounder in your first deal because your bust rate, I think, is like 70 percent. I believe for it. first rounders. So just do the math. Right. Right, so it's just it boils down to the Chargers are being cheap. Want to spread this out in as many payments deferred as possible, and Bosa wants the money up front. He, I mean, the number doesn't change no matter what it is. The money will right. be paid. It's just they're arguing over the timetable, and I don't blame Joey Bosa in the slightest. Yeah, and I want this like this doesn't make this isn't beneficial to me. They can actually keep money in an escrow. Mm-hmm. And and make interest off of it when he could just as easily do that. I mean, his family's got strip clubs in Miami. Like <laughs> he needs, he's got investments lined up already. Cash, they need that cash up front. You know, you need no and preferably doubt. in ones, <laughs> crisp ones. So I think that's a great way to wrap up this episode, right? Yeah, right? perfect culmination. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at Glory Pack uh, at Glory Podcast on Facebook, Never Ending Glory Podcast, of course on Gmail. Send us emails at negpodcast at gmail Subscribe, like us, rate us on iTunes. Make sure you download us on your phone. There's a fancy little app where you can do that very easily. And of course, check us out on DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. And I do want to say that Sean, you've been on with us enough that. You're you're no longer a guest. Uh, I look at you as not only a brother, as the third chair of Never Any Glory podcast, but also, like we mentioned a few times, you are the ombudsman. You are the one who brings um, a lot of rational, um, hard-hitting sports knowledge to this to this uh, this podcast. So, or you just like to be a prick to us. That's yeah, it. I was about to say, Luke, are you going to start cutting the R&B music and trying to put the moves <laughs> on me there? I mean, let's get through this. Hey, Buckeye Vodka, show some love. What's up? <laughs> so that's all we have for tonight for the Never Ending Glory podcast. Good luck to the Browns and the Patriots and, of course, obviously to the Red Sox and the Indians as we look to close out the preseason and the regular season of the Major League Baseball season. So with that, we're out, and we'll talk soon. All right, talk to you later. Yeah. Hey.